show today we've got my dear friend Suzanne Stabile back on the podcast and we're continuing to talk about failure. Uh, Before we get to failure, let me talk to you about one of the things that is a glowing success, my favorite event of the year. It is Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. Now this year, I hope you join me May 3rd through 6th in Malibu, California to hear the message about No Other Jesus, a outstanding, dare I say, a plethora of great speakers. Many of them are friends of the show that will be at this event at Pepperdine University. Um, friend, you, you've been listening to the podcast this month. You've heard the names. Kristen Cobes dumay Christine Kane, Richard Beck, Rick Atchley, Chris Seaman, Josh Graves, Sean Palmer. A lot of these friends of the show that you're going to recognize, Sarah Barton will be there. These are people you know, you love, you're going to want to hear them, and I'll be there too. And so we're all going to be there May 3rd through 6th. Great event. Um, check the show notes for more information, but I hope to see you in May. Now, let me tell you about uh, what's going on this month. Uh, I had this um, brilliant idea that was actually forgotten. Diana, one of the listeners of the podcast, sent me a message and said, hey, February, fail time. And uh, so big shout out. Thank you for reminding me. But one of the things that I've found when it comes to failure is that failure seems to connect us in a way that success doesn't. Sometimes the success of other people um, becomes something that like we celebrate and we honor, but in some ways it creates a distance between us and them. But failure has this peculiar ability to connect us together. And whether it's a professional failure like Steve Carter talked about uh, a couple weeks ago uh, where he did something in a professional role that he never thought he would do or didn't like that was inconsistent with who he wanted to be or the one you're going to hear today, which is less professional, more personal. The thing about these failures is that no one ever expects to have a failure. I mean, maybe some of you Enneagram sixes, um, which like as Enneagram seven, six wing, like I get it. Um, sometimes you think about failure, but in terms of like actually seeing yourself there, it's not what, what a real failure is, is when you end up often in a place where you didn't think you're going to be like the failures that really stand out are the ones that are inconsistent with the vision that you have for who you are and what you're about. I, I don't know if I actually said this on the podcast of Steve, but when he and I were talking about what he was going to say, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, in a much smaller um, stage, obviously Willow uh, or Steve Carter two episodes ago, um, where he was talking about is a very public story. It's it's major news sources talked about it and um, it's been all over the place. Uh, and so I'm not comparing the, uh, the level of, of awareness that people had of the failure that I'm about to describe to what he did. But when he described something, it was something that he didn't expect to do. He found himself trying to play both sides and to help both groups of people with what he thought was, you know, a peacemaker kind of solution in hindsight, he realizes what he did was wrong. Um, like I had a story like that, you know, 15, 20 years ago where I thought I was helping both groups of people. But what I ended up doing was privileging the person who had more power. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time. I thought I was just trying to bring groups together. But in hindsight, I look back and go, man, I, I never thought I would be the kind of person who would do that, who wouldn't take into consideration the person that had the, the smallest voice, the less, uh, the least amount of influence, the least amount of clout. But I, I was, and that's one of the reasons that like a story like that haunts me. And 
I would say in the last like five years, there's maybe two things, two like two events that when I think about them, like there is a like a, a pain like literally in my gut for the way I acted. And, you know, one of those was this, um, uh, honestly what it was is I was going to include in a book someone's story. And like in hindsight, I feel like I tell the story as I was going to in the book, at least, in a way that was fair and consistent with the way that this person even narrated their story on this podcast. But I sent it to them beforehand, even though I didn't really need to. Um, My publishers didn't require me to get a... Um, like a signed release like you have to do for a lot of stories in books um, because, you know, it's public record, public domain. It's, it, you know, it's out there. And nevertheless, I sent it over to this person who I'm not like good friends with, but um, sent it to him and they responded back and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know about that. And I, like I had this sense of like, I'm, I'm just in trouble. Like I felt like heat flash over me as I was reading this. I, I walk inside uh, I, I read the the email while sitting in my truck and I walk inside and my wife looks at me and goes, Luke, what happened to you? Like she could physically see I had a response to this email where a person was like, didn't like the way that I represented their story. And one of the core values that I have for me is like, I want to always respect the image of God in other people, which means I want to be authentic and um, maybe not authentic isn't the word, but maybe like honest and fair when I represent their story and excuse me like I that person didn't feel like I did it now to be very logical about it I feel like in hindsight I did but the fact that they didn't feel that way like that that was painful to me because that failure for me was I wasn't who I envisioned myself to be like I feel like I envisioned myself to be someone who, who who doesn't disrespect people by not being authentic and fair to their story and not being truthful to how they imagine themselves. And I think what failure does is it reveals to us the ways in which we are inconsistent with who we want to be. And the painful thing about that is no one wants to see that. Like no one wants to feel that. Like I I don't want to imagine myself as the kind of person who professionally makes mistakes or who does things professionally that, that um, hurts people. Um, But in the conversation we're going to have today, it's not just professional it's it's personal like I, I i can imagine suzanne would she'll get into it you'll hear more about what she's going to say but like to talk about a, a personal failure is something that she never imagined herself to end up being in that situation none of us do and i think the powerful thing about failure and the reason it connects us is because i think we all end up at a place in life where we aren't what we want to be where we end up realizing that the values that we uphold as being like most important are values that we ourselves can't always um, be real to in the way that we we want to be. And what I think connects us about failure is that you realize at that place where you are what you don't want to be that you're not alone. And you realize in that place that you aren't the only one there. And when you realize that there are other people who've been there and who are there, like I think that's power. And I think that's life-giving because I don't know about you, but the people that I want to be most authentic and honest about my own failures are people that I know already are that in touch with their own failures. And I think there's some powerful connection where you can say, yes, 
you know, I, I've been there too, or I am there too, or I'm in that place as well. And I think that's where we find this, the real powerful part of like our shared humanity and the shared grace that we all need. Uh, because ultimately, like, I think part of the power of the, of Christianity, the witness that it, it has to the world and to each and every one of us individually is that in those moments when you aren't what you imagine yourself being or you aren't what you want to be or you aren't what your family needs you to be or your your friends need you to be is that in that worst place like you are still accepted because when you when you don't feel consistent with what you need to be we don't feel accepted even in our own skin and to hear a voice that says you are still my beloved i still love you i still choose you that we hear from god i think that is truly life-giving um one of the things that uh, i heard um from one of the listeners was uh, that uh, they were actually connected to uh, willow during the time in which uh steve was um was talking about and this person didn't hear as much as maybe they wanted at the time. And so the message that they actually said was that like that podcast brought a lot of closure. And I guess maybe that's my hope for all of these. And that in some ways, obviously you're not going to be connected to Suzanne's story probably, and you're not going to be connected to the other ones that we're going to do, but there's something that gives us closure when we know that others have been there with us and that we can start to accept a chapter in our life because we know that the chapter in our life isn't just our chapter, but there are other people who have been through that chapter and they've been able to get through it as well. And so as you listen to this one, uh, I hope um, hope you experience some of that uh, as well. And uh, February is wrapping up, but I, I want to keep talking about this. And so we've got some uh, like normal podcasts like the Howard Was one. Um, that I released last week that are still going to be uh, in the queue. But uh, I want to talk about failure some more. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to at least do one more of these, at least one more. Um, but um, anyway, without further ado, here's Suzanne. Hello, friends. Today we have my beloved friend Suzanne to be on the podcast. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. So good to be with you always. It's, it's great to be with you. It's good to see you. Good to see your face. What you don't know is that uh, this whole podcast doesn't even exist. This is just a pretext for me to uh, get some FaceTime with you. Okay. I'm not even, even going to record this. I'm just going to talk to you. <laughs> you know, that works for me. Deal. That is perfect. We could meet um, halfway and just eat a hamburger and then each yeah. go back home. Or we... Oh, uh, steak? What kind of steak did you and Joe want chicken during the Chicken steak. We love chicken fried steak. But there was one that you guys drove across and you couldn't find it and uh, I'd never heard of it before. You drove know. like... Anyway, okay. It would have been cool if I remember that, but I'm not that great of a person. Think how cool through. it would be if I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Suzanne, when I texted you and said, hey, would you talk about your bi- biggest failure? Were you like, Luke, why can't we just talk about something fun or happy? Like, I realized after I've sent these texts out, like, man, that's kind of a, you know, no, that's, that's, that's something. No? Were you... I was ready to go. You're ready to go? Yeah. Okay. So, I was uh, when I got the text. Like, I, you've heard me say, you've heard me say. Uh, all of the lessons that I've learned in my life that are really important came from failure, not success. Yeah. So I was just kind of thumbing through which failure. Hmm. I think I'm ready to go. Okay. All right. Um, the first one I've already recorded, 
And when he was talking, I was like, yeah, I've got a failure just like that. And I wonder if that's going to happen again this time. It's so, not. Uh, okay, well, well, we'll see. I trust you. I trust you. Can you tell me, though, why you've learned more from failure than success? And then we'll get to this specific one. One of the things that people have kind of pushed back on when I teach what is mine to do mostly, which is the Enneagram, is why is it all so negative? Mm-hmm. And my response to them is because you don't know yourself by what you get right. You know yourself by what you get wrong. And you yeah. for sure don't know your internal terrain by what you got right. You know that by what you got wrong. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I would say. But the second thing is every important lesson that I've learned, every single one that sustains me still, I learned from failure. And success for me is very elusive. Hmm. And because you and I have the gift of friendship along with whatever we do together professionally, in observing you, I'm fully aware that your success is very elusive for you too. Hmm. You're, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. Tell me why it feels elusive for you though. I'm not sure. Joe and I talked about it again just yesterday. It's like when we walk in the Micah Center... I feel like I'm at somebody else's center. And when I look at all the recordings on the shelves, I think, boy, somebody did a lot of work there. It's like, I just can't, I can't own that. So I, you know, uh, you know, I have a new book out and, um, I I wish, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's my favorite. (laughs) I like it a lot, but, um, you know, I wish the, um, Marketing person at InterVarsity Press had never taught me how to check book numbers on Amazon mm. because it's uh, it's really hard to stay away from. Yeah. But my first two books have been very successful. And this book was in the second printing the day we released the book. <laughs> that's amazing. So that, that's I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you where that is. Yeah. When I check the numbers, I don't ever get excited about the numbers that are under the magic number. Mm-hmm. I get concerned about when they're over the magic number. And then that's what I focus on. And that's, I, I think there's a chance that we have all been programmed to believe that we're just not enough and we're just not good enough. And I think there's some part of us that's always looking for proof for that. We're looking for proof to confirm that we're, we're not as good as we think would we are. want to be or we would want to be. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay, I'm not there. I'm still not there. Or I thought this book was going to be the best one. And it may be, you know, it's been out just a minute. It may be yeah. the best one, but I don't, I just don't. And I, I'm not going to give you the numbers cause it sounds too haughty, but it, it's doing really well. No, I like I can right. see that. Yeah, and I, I you're you're uh, IVP. Like they've they've sent emails to me like, hey, so and so, this many books, and do you want to like uh, like uh, promote them more? I'm like, they don't need more promotion. Like I've seen the numbers. We stop promoting it. Like it's we're maxed out on it. But uh, yeah, so it's 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 done well. But it to you, it doesn't feel like that's true. You feel more truth in failure than in. The successes. It's easier for me to relate to the number that's yeah. uh, the lowest in, in terms of sales than it is for me to relate to the number that's highest. 
yeah. all, all the time, 100% of the time. And huh. that is because um, it's hard for me to own success. It's just really hard for me. So, hmm. you know, I think, you know, that I've struggled. I'm much better, but I had to go to therapy to get better with signing books. It's like Explain why. Well, I, I sit down to sign one of the three Enneagram books, and I think looking at that person. You know, people just like you who came to workshops and cohorts and things, are the, are, that's where I learned all this. So why should I sign my name? But mm. then, but then, at an event uh, far away from here, another state far away, a woman stalked me. And they literally had to keep her away from me. And she got in line to have her book signed. And when it got to her, I looked up and I said, okay, what's your name? And she said, just sign Suzanne Stabile to Suzanne Stabile because I'm you. That got me. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm me. And I wrote this book. Hmm. So there's a point in me where I can say, no, this is mine. Mm-hmm. This is my life's work, but it was pretty dramatic. So that, that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of talk about me. Is, okay. Is it, is it fair to say like imposter syndrome is part of what, what's, <clears throat> what's there? I feel uh, we finally in therapy, I finally got to that. The reason signing books and having my picture taken with people is because I feel like a fraud and my work is, my work. I'm not, but I, it's hard to own success. And I think it's hard for everybody in our culture in the West to own success because no, you know, people who have a billion dollars want a billion and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the bar is, there's no way to get there. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of it. Now, when I'm doing my work and I'm all about reading things that challenge me and I'm doing a good sit at least once a day when I, when I'm in that space, then I can do better with, okay. I, I can own that this is valuable and that it's helped people. And that's what I wanted to do and that it puts more compassion in the world. And yet there's still so much more. Hmm. Yeah. I assume what you're describing is not just what I'm experiencing, but many others have experienced it as well. So I appreciate you saying that and verbalizing what many of us have felt. Yeah. Now, um, can I ask a question? Like, sure. What failure are you most grateful for? Uh, my first marriage. Hmm. See, I told you you weren't going to relate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's not it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's somewhat fair. Um, so, um, in the sixties, yeah, I, I got, I grew up kind of, I came of age in this late sixties. I was born in 1950 and, um, the sixties were a very tricky time. Things that we'd all kind of counted on. We couldn't count on anymore. There are a lot of correlations for me between now and the late sixties and early seventies. And my life, my world, my friends, etc. And a lot of us married the wrong person because of the shift that happened around our uh, growing up. 
And I certainly, a lot of people married the right person. And people today, this weekend, will probably marry the wrong person. Some people will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what that has taught me, and I'm happy to, we were married for 12 years. Uh, we had three beautiful children. Joe actually adopted all three children when he and I married. And uh, he is their dad and daddy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the most important lesson that I have learned from my first marriage is not to rewrite history. Hmm. What, is it, what does that mean? Well, everybody uh, who even considers doing work of writing a memoir, which I've considered, but, you know, I talk mine all the time, so I think I'm going to pass on that. Hmm. But um, one of the things that is said frequently about that is that uh, you, you realize that you're writing from your perspective and your experience may not be somebody else's. It may be completely different. And so I am aware that it's really possible to just rewrite everything from my perspective and not know I'm doing it or it's possible to rewrite from my perspective and know that I'm doing it. Hmm. And the thing that kept me from doing that is I think family secrets are a terrible thing. I think they because? hurt. Well, I think they hurt children and future generations of children. Family secrets, uh, the secret affects your life, whether or not it's articulated honestly or not. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's good. And so I made up my mind that I was not going to put my experience of their biological father on them. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I made up my mind that any question they asked me, I was going to answer honestly. Hmm. What did that do to you when you had to answer honestly instead of hiding behind secrets? Um, Well, um, I had to take a good look at how hard my life was, how much work I did. Uh, I worked three jobs sometimes when he didn't work any. Um, there were five children uh, in our home because he had two boys who uh, his wife had till the ex-wife had till the day we got married. And then she said, I don't want to take care of them anymore. And so I ended up as a newlywed with two children that I didn't know I was going to have. And I was the primary parent to kids who needed some good help. Yeah. So I have at one point, uh, we, we divorced shortly after our third child was born. But I, I had a long period of time where I did everything. And it taught me that I can do everything that needs to be done. But it also taught me that I can do everything. And that's Mm. bad. Yeah. So sometimes when I get threatened, you know, I'm an adopted human, so I got all this, when are you going to leave me stuff going. Sometimes when I get in that space, I put my hands on my hips and and say to myself or to Joe, you know, I can handle this by myself. And that was not true then, and it isn't true now. And if I rewrite the story so that it's more 
lovely and more palatable for people, then it's less, it, it, it is responded to with fewer questions and with less probing. Because it's possible to say, you know, we, we got married, we'd never lived in the same town together. It was the, we, we met in the early 70s. Uh, it, it didn't work. And I have these three beautiful children and all's well. But that's not the real story. And for your listeners, I want everybody to know that he has died. So I wouldn't be talking about him as openly as I am without his voice being here if he weren't still alive. Mm. But we weren't right for one another. And um, I desperately wanted to have children. And I decided that they deserved the truth about anything that has affected their life. And so that's why I decided I wasn't going to rewrite the story. What do you think the effect of that has been on, on the kids? Obviously there's not another history in which they, they didn't experience that. So it's hard to, to really answer that like objectively, but as you just kind of imagine, what do you, do you see the fruit of that in a positive way or, or is it in a negative way? Absolutely. In a positive way. Now, let me say, because, you know, we live in Enneagram world in our family, and not everybody mm-hmm. does. And so I know how to tell the truth to each one of my children, even though they're four different Enneagram numbers. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I know how, I, not that I changed the story at all, but I know how to answer their questions in a way that they can hear it. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, there, there's the equivalent of a poster in every generation everywhere that says, learn the lessons that the past have to teach you. It may not be those exact words, but, but there's something like, like that. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. It's, it's a line about history, right? Those who refuse to learn history yeah. are destined to repeat it. It's That's the same, a, same concept. Yeah, exactly. And if you make up a story that you believe after you've told it 10 or 15 times and other people do too, then what yeah. do you learn from? I think my children, um, especially my daughters, learned that they, in fact, can take care of themselves. They just don't want to. Hmm. And so they wanted to be in a relationship where that wasn't going to be a probability. And I think our sons, uh, even though uh, BJ uh, biologically is mine and Joe's, you know, we don't use those terms around here. It's like Joe adopted the children and we have four children. So it's hard for me to even try to talk about that. But BJ has learned from that failed marriage too, because it affected him too. And he has questions. And, you know, uh, my children are all married. um, And uh, they get, they, because I told them the truth about the failure of my marriage, they never worry about coming to Joe and me to get help with theirs. Hmm. So because of your honesty about your struggles, it made them feel like this was a safe place for them to bring their struggles. Yep. And Joe and I um, have built a a really beautiful life together. And you've, you know, we're like 16 year olds. We're so much in love with each other. Still. Yeah, 
and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Guys, Cut it tone out. it down. Too much PDA. Like I, <laughs> we're at a restaurant here. Yeah, I'm like, hey, there are people around here. Like this is this is not appropriate. But out of but that did yeah. But Joe and I got here by being honest about our failures with each other. Mm-hmm. Not by making up some story about oh our marriage is perfect. Yeah. It seems from my experience that nothing is as humbling as uh, home and family and marriage. Yep. And I used to think of marriage as a Band-Aid that would be the the panacea for all my problems. And now I realize that it is a magnifying glass for all of my issues. Yep. And the the degree to which I have like embarrassment and even shame for what I've done uh, in my home is not repli- rec- uh, similar anywhere else. Yeah. Like it's, because I, the person I'm closest to a- has been failed by me in ways that I'm really embarrassed of. And um, it seems that marriage can be very humbling for anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear. But I don't know if we all are willing to do that. And obviously not everyone goes through a divorce as you did, but I think marriage does humble every one of us who who's willing to be open to what God is teaching us through it. I think so too. And I, you know, the most, maybe I was trying to think if you said, okay, well, what are the three most important things that you learned from that failure? Since it's such a big, broad story. The first is that I can't love enough for everybody. Mm -hmm. It, it didn't matter how much I loved or how much I was willing to give. It, it can't be enough make up for other people. Yeah. The second is that um, we need to listen to wise ones who are around us, even when it's countercultural. So I was on my dad's arm with my bouquet in the other hand, ready to walk down the aisle. And he stopped me outside the church doors and he turned to me and looked at me and he said, you know, you don't have to do this. Hmm. I can walk right down there and tell everybody that we're so sorry that you have decided not to get married today, that all the gifts will be returned and that we're really grateful for their love and affection. Why do you think he, he knew to say that? Cause he knew that hmm. it wasn't the right relationship for me. And because I was shaking so bad, I couldn't hold my bouquet. And because in the dressing room, I had cried when he came in and talked to me. But there were people there. Right? So for for all of the wrong reasons, I said, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah. And it, you know, everything gives you gifts and offers lessons. Mm-hmm. And the gift, you know how I feel about these kids of mine. Of course, yeah. And I learned a lot during those years. And I failed hmm. from the beginning. I, I missed it when I walked down the aisle. I told myself things that weren't true all the way through it to keep it together. I failed. And, you know, you got to be careful because he did some things that if I talked about, people would say, 
Well, that's not your failure. What is my failure? Because I stayed. Hmm. And, um, and it was a very long time ago. And the effects of it, good and bad, are still around. And he was inadequate as a husband, but he was not a bad human being. He was inadequate as a father, very inadequate, but he was not a bad human being. And it would, it would be rewriting history for me to say that he was. You know, that goes both ways. Yeah. Hmm. How do you not let that failure dictate your future? Because sometimes a story like that can become what is just going to get replayed over and over again. And so obviously you and Joe are thriving, but um, how does that not get uh, like compromised by the previous story? Well, we couldn't possibly say that it hasn't been compromised. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you how we got over the compromise. Okay, let's hear it. All right. So um, you, you imagine this. Imagine me looking at the lovely unbelievably handsome, unbelievably talented, incredibly good human, Joe Stabile. Okay. And I've said it over and over and over. How in the world did I ever end up getting to do life with you? And too many times in the first three years of our marriage, I said, I know you're going to leave. So Mm. just go ahead and go. People don't stay with me. So just go. I know you're going to leave. I know I'm not enough. I know I'm overweight. I know so-and-so um, is more interesting. I know. I, go, so just go ahead and go. It'll be better for everybody if you just leave. And he that happened probably twice a week. And he would assure me in some way that he wasn't going, that he wasn't leaving. And finally, one day, he put his hands on my shoulders, I think. Could have been my face. He does that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, I'm doing everything I know to do to let you know how much I love you. I'm here and I'm always here. I love our family. I love what we're building. I love being with you in ministry. I love you with all of my heart. So here's where we are. There's some work to do here. And it seems to me it's on your side of the fence. So you're going to have to figure out how to believe how much I love you because I can't do anything I'm not doing. Hmm. That's beautiful. It was hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was hard to hear and, and uh, not surprising hear. knowing who Joe is. And I'm yeah. grateful you did the work and the way that that has been blessed with the family that you guys yeah. have to this day and the relationship you have and, uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Susan, I, I really appreciate you sharing um, this failure um, and having that level of candor with a really you know, tough subject. But I know you're not the only one who carries uh, that as the failure that haunts them or, or that, that's around with them. And um, I know it's life-giving to some uh, who really need to hear it right now. So I appreciate you doing that. I hope so. You know, I, I wonder the, if, as you ask people, how many would be... Uh, more comfortable sharing failure than success. Hmm. I am. Yeah. How no, about I, you? 
How about you? I, what if I ask you? Uh, I, I mean, my failures come to mind a whole lot quicker. Yeah. If you, you were to ask me my successes, like, you know, my yeah. kids. Yeah, that like my kids, like that comes to my mind. Like the that family that we've created, like jumps right out. But um, my failures, oh man, I've, we've got a hard stop that we've got to end this call on. Uh, otherwise, I could go on in perpetuity with the things that I've messed up as. I mean, things that I said, like a, a comment I said yep. 21 years ago, like just yep. jumps out at me. Like I'm super embarrassed. I said something one time to one person when I was 19 or whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, and like... Like Legion, we are many. So, yes. Yeah. All right. So don't you love it when I take over your podcast and make it mine? <laughs> you know, honestly, Steve Carter was like, the, he's like, she's just going to interview you. And I was like, well, yeah. But, you know, that's what I signed up for. All right. Well, here's what, I, here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, you're one of the finest people I know. And uh, I love you guys. And I can hardly wait till we're in Austin. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to having you here in, uh, I guess it's April 9th or something like that, that weekend. So, anyway, love you, friend. Thanks for the time. And Uh uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye.